Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. Good morning. And good morning to everybody out on the patio. Great to have you here today. As we begin our worship service this morning, I want to give you a picture. And this picture is painted by a guy named John. It's in Revelation chapter 4. And what we need to understand is that in Revelation chapter 4, John is trying to describe in earthly language, something that he was given a glimpse of in heaven. And I'm sure that John struggled as he was trying to describe this. And he needed to understand that, and he needed to hear it in that context when he describes the throne room in heaven. John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, And the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, this was Jesus who had spoken to him, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. He's describing some some gemstones here. He says a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was, was, um, was like a lion. The second was like an ox. you got to remember, he's saying like. He isn't saying, he's trying to describe, trying to use something that he knew about, something that we could associate to try and describe the indescribable. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Second verse, same as the first. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Remember this next time you complain about 7-Eleven music. You know, the same seven words 11 times. 
Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and they have their being. Last week, we taught our message, Welcome to the Priesthood. And we talked about how that meant that you and I as believers, if we have faithed Christ, if we, if we have made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of our life, we have a personal relationship with God on the throne. And we have the privilege of entering into that. Can you understand that? I don't know about you, but that kind of blows my mind. You know, all these other creative beings that aren't people, they can't have the same type of relationship you and I can with God through Jesus Christ. But we get to enter in. You know, one of those seraphims there talking to God, he said, wait, wait a minute, here comes my boy Walt. Here comes my daughter. Just a minute. We have the honor and privilege of that. When we pray or when we praise him, we're entering into that. So let's stand and let's together praise the Lord. Well, we're in our uh, seventh week of our series in 1 Peter. And this week, the the title of the message is, is Follow the Battle Plan. Last week, Peter told us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people belonging to God. But belonging to God for a reason, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of the darkness into this wonderful light. We look to the privilege that we have as adopted sons and daughters of God to boldly, to boldly approach God's throne, the throne of grace, that throne that we were talking about when I read in Revelation 4 at the beginning of the service. If you haven't been here for the previous messages, they are available on podcast. If you don't know how, what that is or how to get it, just let me know and it's very easy. I can, I can show you how to, how to get it on any of your devices or on your computer. Have you ever stopped? Have you ever stopped and thought about when you pray, the scene that you enter into, who you're praying to, to the God that says you don't need a priest, you don't need a pastor to go before you, you don't need a father, you don't need a human being, you don't need someone else to stand between you and God? the creator of the universe, you have the privilege, if you've faithed Christ, to go to him directly. You have the privilege to approach him boldly. Today we continue in chapter 2 of 1 Peter with verse 11. Because of the the, the previous 10 verses of now who we are as children of God and the throne that we are privileged to be a part of and to walk into, Peter says, this changes how we're going to see life, and how we're going to live life. And he addresses a couple of the problems that we will face. Not we may face, a couple of problems we will face. In verse 11, he says this. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And he goes, because of that, because of who you are, And this is the third time that Peter has done it in this book. 
He's going to do it over and over again in the book. He constantly, he writes, he writes, here's what God's done. So here's who you are. Now, here's how you are to act. Here's what God's done. So here's who you are. Now, here's how you should act. This is the third time he goes through this cycle. At the beginning, he said, let me tell you, you have a living Christ. You have a Savior. Your, your relationship is, is living. You don't belong to a religion. You belong to a relationship. That's what God has done. So let me tell you now how to do it. And then he said, let me tell you, you are holy. You're already holy. You don't have to try to become holy. You are holy. God has set you apart. He has made you different. He has claimed you as his own. So let me tell you how to do it. He said, you're a priesthood. That's last week. He said, you can walk before the throne of God, that creator that, that heavenly and earthly beings worship. You call dad, Baba, Papa, Daddy. So now let me tell you how to live that out, he says. And I love for the third time in this book, he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. He's repeating it over and over again because it's so easy for us to forget that we are not of this world. We belong to another kingdom. Now do you have a better sense why? But now he says, now that you know the one who sits upon the throne, you're going to be different in your life, in the way you live, because there's a problem that you may have missed. If there's a God that sits on the throne, you and I are not him. And that means that we're going to live differently than if we were left up to our own devices, left up to our own ways. Because this life, this worldview, this society that we live in, it says that you're the God who sits on the throne. So follow your desires, follow your will, follow your dreams. You can be anything, you can do anything. You can choose whatever lifestyle you want, whatever morality, whatever religion, whatever philosophy. It says that we're open to trying anything that a human being wants to do. But you know what our society fears? It fears someone who claims that there are absolutes, that claims that there's others that are wrong, that morality is not relative, and that it is not subjective. That's the person that our society fears. Other than that, they say, do whatever you want. No, just listen, don't hurt anybody. As long as it's consensual, it's fine. Don't harm, oh, don't harm anybody, but you're on your throne. And Peter goes, no. Now that you're a child of God, now that you've got a glimpse of the one who does sit on the throne, you're not him. That means that you're going to go against all of your earthly desires, all your fleshly desires, your desire to be your own your God, your desire to do what you want to with your money, with your morality, with your language, with your speech, with your free time, with your entertainment. We want to make our own right and wrong. We want to make our own calls. And Peter goes, here's the problem. He says, if we aren't battling our sinful desires, they've won. If we are not battling our sinful desires, they've won. Because it is a constant battle. Here's the problem with me actually claiming that there's a God. That means that there's an ultimate ruler. And that means that I follow, I fall under his sovereignty. I don't just get to do what Walt wants to do. It means that there's going to be so much in, in me that's at war with God. It goes, no, 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 this is how you live life. And Peter says, that's going to war with your soul. The Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, the, the tension between the spirit and the flesh. And it's kind of odd, isn't it? Has anyone come to you lately and said, you know, your soul's taken a beating? Probably not. Your soul's shot to shreds right now. 
It's hard to measure. You don't, it's harder to, to see that. Physically, I understand the things that war with me physically. Chinese buffets and donuts, okay? You probably look at me and say, Walt, you need to pass the Chinese buffet and just drive right on past Krispy Kreme. That's what my wife tells me every time I see that flashing red light. Hot now, hot now. No, keep on driving. It's warring against your flesh. You're losing that battle. Too much chocolate or desserts or alcohol or drugs or even entertainment keeping you up at night can kill so much of the flesh. We can tell by looking at someone physically, whoa, you need to take care of yourself. There are so many things that harm us physically and those around us can see it. But your soul? You're the only one who really knows where your soul is. That part of you that, that has a relationship with God, that spirit side, do you know where it's at? And Peter says, let me tell you the problem. There's God. There's this scene that we've talked about in heaven and the throne room. And if you've made him God and Lord of your life, you're now a child. You're now an heir to that throne. But if you're following your own rules, it's going to war against your soul. And that relationship is going to be strained. He says, you've got to constantly battle against that. In the world here, if you're in a, if you're in a war zone, if, if you're deployed, you're constantly living defensively. My, my wife, my kids have heard this a bunch of times. Keep your head on a swivel. Know what's going on around you. Be aware of your surroundings. It works in a war zone. It also works when you're going driving through a bad part of town or just in life in general. You need to be aware of what's going on. You see, the absolute worst time to plan a battle strategy is when you're in the thick of it. I spent two years as the chaplain and on faculty at the Joint Forces Staff College for the National Defense University. At JFSC, we taught mid-grade and, and senior officers from all the services how to work together. Now, that may not sound hard, but trust me. You get the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Air Force. They all have different cultures, Earl. Sorry, I love the Air Force. Uh, I always said I wanted to retire near an Air Force base because they've got, they've got the golf course, the clubs, the pools, and all that stuff down pat. Don't want to retire near a Marine Corps base. No. But had to bring all those people together and had to teach them how to work together because they were all going to be going to these high-level staffs and where they would be creating war plans and battle plans for every contingency. You see, battles are planned long before the skirmish. And there's a written battle plan that is rehearsed. It's practiced repeatedly. It's updated regularly. And where does a written battle plan come from? A lot of it is just learning from history and past successes and victories and defeats. And that's a lot of what I taught there was the, the historical lessons uh, from with the background in international affairs and all that kind of stuff. But this book, this book is about all that. This book is telling you that you're in a battle. If you've accepted God, if you're a child of God, there's going to be so much of the old self that, that's there, though, that, that you're constantly going to be fighting against that, and you're going to be struggling with it. And it's going to war against your soul, Peter says. See, the more you get into it, the more you want, to, you want of God in your life, the more you want to call the shots in your life, the further you're going to be towards the throne and away from self. The more you fight against the flesh you war against, it, the closer to God you're going to be walking. We can see that played out constantly in life. And this Bible is the written battle plan that we're supposed to follow. You and I have pages full 
of past victories, uh, successes, and defeats that we can learn from. I just finished Numbers this past week and started Deuteronomy. So I've been on this journey with the, with the Jews out of, out, of, out of Egypt the last four, four or five weeks. We've got, we've got all these victories and successes and defeats that we can learn from that God has given us to say, walk with me, let me show you what happens through other people's lives so that they can pay the stupid tax for you. You can learn from this and avoid those mistakes. How well are we walking through life, realizing I'm on the front lines, I'm in the battle zone. I may not daily be battling and, and being beaten down, but I better daily remember I'm a stranger here. I'm an alien here. I don't live according to the morality, the ideology, the philosophy of this world. I don't live according to what they say is right and wrong. I have a much higher God, a different throne that I report to. But I got to be aware of what's going on here because it's constantly trying to pull me in, trying to suck me into its control. How are you doing at that? Peter reminds us, the moment you came to God, you became a child of God. You are a priest. You have direct access to this God, as we saw last week. You have direct access to the Word of God. You confess directly to this God. There's a relationship with this God. Now Peter's saying, let me tell you how to act like it. There's so much old you that's going to fight against this because the old you doesn't want to give up its throne. It's going to war against your soul. And physically, outwardly, socially, relationally, mentally, it's much easier to fake it. We can hide it. But you know where you stand with God. But let me tell you, we can approach God boldly. Not because of who you are or who I am or what either of us have done, but because of all that's been done for us. We can approach because of his grace, because of his mercy, and he says, welcome home. When we enter that throne room, he says, here comes my boy. Here comes my daughter. Make way. And he goes, let me tell you some of the difficulties you're going to come up against in verse 12 here. He says, live such good lives among the pagans. Now, this is not a harsh word here. That's not what he's trying to be harsh, the way that we would use the word pagan in our, in our language. It's just basically people that don't know God. Live such a, such a good life among those that don't believe in God, that don't know God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day that he visits us. Don't miss it. There is an expectation in that verse which gives us a second problem. A second problem that he wants to deal with is that Christianity will always have a bad reputation. Christianity will always have a bad reputation. It's always. Don't try to fight it. Accept it. Stop complaining about the media, about the society, about television, or whatever they do about Christians. Accept it. It's biblical. It happened 2,000 years ago. And before you tune out, hear me out. Hear what the scripture says about this. Christianity will always have a bad reputation. You see, there's, there's, a, there's a belief in the Christian life, and some of it comes from some of our denominations. that they, they forget about the last book of the Bible, and they just think that we're going to bring heaven on earth without the stuff that God said is going to happen in between. They think that we can just all get together, sing Kumbaya and the other songs, the pep, remember the old Pepsi thing, like to teach the world, all that stuff. That's not how it's going to happen. 
There's going to be bad stuff happening between now and then. The scripture says it. And Peter puts this, he says, if you happen to meet someone who accuses you, he says, they will accuse you. You can bet on it. They will be against Christianity. And we don't talk about it much because we're in denial, even in evangelical circles, I think, sometimes. In your life notes, I put a reference there, John 15, 18. I'm going to read the passage there to you in a moment. But I want you to look at the white space there next to where I've got John 15, 18. I want you to write these four, four words to remind you. They will hate us. They will hate us. Now, I can go back and read this, and it goes all the way back to Jesus in the upper room there in that night that he was betrayed when he was at the Last Supper with his disciples, and they were sitting with him. And he said, hey, guys, tonight I'm headed to the cross. Easter's going to come. I'm going I'm to rise up. But tonight I'm headed to the cross. I'll come back, but you need to prepare yourselves. It's going to get scary out there. And they said, why do you have to go? Why can't you stay here? Peter said, why can't I go with you? He goes, no, it's better this way. I have to go so that the Spirit can be with you. You see, you don't have a distant God. God himself, the Spirit of God, can actually walk this life with you. And it's necessary that I go so that he can come. I'm not leaving you alone. It's better this way. But he warns him. He warned him in the end of this incredible scene of John 15, 18. Well, let's start at verse 18 there. He says, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, that wasn't quite what you were expecting, is it? You want to come to God? You want to say, well, God, it, it feels like everybody's against me. It feels like people don't like me. And Jesus goes, oh, let me tell you something. They hated me too. You got anything else? You're like, well, I was expecting a little pat on the head. Everything's going to be better. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You're in a battle. You're in a war. Yeah, heaven's going to come later. But right now, this ain't it. He continues in verse 19. He says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. If you want to act and live like the rest of society, they're going to accept you. They'll love you as their own. But if you're going to be following a different throne, if you're going to be following the throne of, the throne of God, they're not going to like that. And then he explains why. He continues, he says, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you in this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin, he who hates me hates my father as well. And that last night of his freedom, Jesus is telling his followers, he says, I want you to get this straight. The world's going to hate you. He says, because I came and they do not accept that there is a God on the throne, for they don't accept that I am the son of God. And he goes, I came and I told them your sin, your choices, they separate you from God. And Jesus over and over and over again taught them, tried to teach that he was the way, the truth, the life. He was the only way. By his name only will all men be saved. And he goes, they hate that. No one likes to be told they're wrong. No one likes to be told that they're not going to heaven. 
Even the atheists, I don't know if you ever noticed that, if you've talked to atheists or agnostics, they don't believe in heaven. But if you tell them they're not going to heaven, they, they take offense at it. Trying to figure that out. No one likes to be told that there's one way that they need to live. And Jesus goes, that's the truth I came to teach. And that's why Christianity is always going to be seen as bigoted. It's going to be seen as narrow-minded. It's going to be seen as hate speech and a hate crime in so many places. It's going to be seen as unaccepting of other people's free will and choices. And Jesus goes, if I had stayed in heaven, they wouldn't have anything to complain about. He said, I had to come to give them the truth. It's not narrow-minded. He says, it's the most open-ended invitation for every nation, every tribe, no matter who you are, no matter what language you speak, no matter who your parents were, no matter what your socioeconomic standing, it's an open invitation to come to the cross. And he goes, and you're carrying that on. Now let me tell you, if the world doesn't have a problem with you, maybe you're living like the world. But the world will have some issue with you if you're following me. Because you follow the one religion that claims to be the only true religion. And in this day and age, that's something that people fear. So what do we do with these problems? Because really, if you, if you, look, at the, if you look at logically, it's basically a lose-lose situation. If a Christian has bad behavior, bad conduct, the world calls him or her a hypocrite. If a Christian has good behavior and follows God, then the world's going to hate the morality and the absolute truth that they stand for. Both are bad reputations. We just have to choose which one we want. Peter says, let me tell you how to live this out. Let me tell you how to do this. And there's one answer for both problems, and it's simply this. It all comes down to how we live. It comes down to how we live. You see, he said it there in verse 12. He said, live such good lives among those who don't believe, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they're going to see your good deeds, and they're going to glorify God on the day he visits us. So let me tell you, he says, how to fight your desires, your battle there, it's all about your actions and how you live and follow God. He says, let me tell you how to deal with your critics and those that are going to oppose you or you don't like. It's going to be all about your actions. And I think there's three things he points out here about our actions. Number one, our actions will silence our critics. Our actions will silence our critics. People are going to hate Christianity. It says there's sin. It says there's one way to heaven. It's Jesus, and that's unacceptable in the world. So don't be surprised that people will be upset and hate Christianity. But Peter says, you live the life that silences your critics. You allow that guy at work who, to, to, who just says, you know, I hate Christians, a bunch of self-indulgent, self-righteous hypocrites, so they go around judging everybody else, talking about love, but, but all they do is spew hate. But you know, I know this guy. Be that guy. I know one guy. I really like that guy. I hate his religion. Be that one guy. Or when they're talking in the book club and one of the ladies goes, I hate Christians. They feel like every holiday has got to be theirs and they want everything, but, but then they're against all the other religions and they're not accepting of anybody else. They're so narrow-minded they get caught up in things and they don't even know it. But, you know, I know that one lady. Be that one lady. He goes, live life in such a way where the world is going to hate what's being told, being told that there's a sin issue, that they're wrong. Here's how to get to God. 
No one's going to like that news. But you live in a, in a way that wins them over. Our actions are going to silence our critics. Number two, our actions will point people to God. He says, live good, such good lives among the pagans or those that don't believe in God that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Not that they think that you're such a great person. Not that they go, oh, look at that guy. He's, he's cool. No, they see you and they learn to accept you and then they can see your God. And what they're really seeing is they're seeing your God in you. They can see how you act, how you act like God, how you walk like Jesus. And that attracts people. We should live a life that demands an answer. And when asked, we should give it. Christianity is so much more than, than what we do one hour a week in church or, or in this chapel. It's a relationship. But it's also meant to be a relationship with others in a way that spreads Christianity. Those outside the relationship rarely understand the relationship. Being a Christian is about what we do out there the other six plus days of the week. And people that are out there talking it out and living it out and realizing I'm in a world where I don't quite fit in anymore. Peter told you that. Don't sit there and act all surprised. I'm in a world where I'm following a different set of authority that people aren't going to like. God warned you. I'm going to live my life differently, though. That's going to show people there is a way, and I know that way, and even though they may not like it, I'm going to live my life in such a way that my critics are going to say, I'm going to be drawn toward that person's God. So our actions are going to silence our critics. They're going to point people to God. And thirdly, they're going to bring people into the family. I love this at the end of verse 12, and I hope you can see this picture that Peter's painting here. He says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on that day that he visits us. Can you picture what Peter is actually saying here? Can you picture somebody is glorifying God? at that day. Somebody that was a critic. Somebody that hated Christianity. Somebody that hated your God. But there, when God comes again, that individual is next to you. And what are they doing? Glorifying God. What does that mean? They're in. They're in the family. Mission achieved. Battle success. Don't miss what Peter's saying in this one verse. He goes, you're going to have critics. You're going to have people that aren't going to like you, that aren't going to like what you stand for. You're going to live life in a way that silences them. They may still hate Christianity, but they like you. But they're going to learn about your God. And that's going to bring them towards your God. And then on the day that God returns, they're going to be standing there glorifying God with you. What a scene. They're in the kingdom. They're in the family. Now, a part of me wishes that I could stop there. And I can hear some voices back there in your head saying, oh, yeah, I wish you'd stop now too, Walt. <laughs> But I have to go on to these next couple of verses. And I'm like, Peter, did you really go there? Yes, he did. And he links them together. So I have to continue with it today. He goes, so let me tell you, if that's our battle plan, if that's how we do life, let me tell you where it's probably going to come out the most. He says in verse 13, he says, submit yourself for whose sake? For the Lord's sake. Not for your sake, not for your desires, but for God's sake, submit yourself to every, circle that word every on your life notes, to every authority. You don't get to pick and choose. Submit yourself to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 
For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. And there it is again. He's, he's, not, he's not saying that men are dumb or, or stupid. They're just ignorant. They're ignorant. They don't understand. They don't know God. And by doing good, you're going to silence their talk. Live as free men and women, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to who? Everyone. Again, it's inclusive. It doesn't give us a choice. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. I don't know about you, but this is tough. This is hard, especially over the past year. This is really hard. In your life notes undertaking at home, I was going to have you write, uh, the Christian army doesn't kill its enemies, it wins them over. But you'll see up here, I struck out its enemies. Because I realize there's something we, we, we need to understand. While this may sound kind of cute, you know, the Christian army doesn't kill its enemies, it wins them over. As I read this, as I pray about it, and as I look at Scripture, all the whole teaching of Scripture, people are not our enemies. People may be pawns, and what's going on, but people are not our enemies. If you and I are followers of Jesus Christ, you'll never have an enemy that is a person. We have an enemy the moment we sign up, the moment we cross that line of faith in Jesus Christ and, and make him Lord and Savior of our life. We do have an enemy. That enemy is Satan. Scripture is very clear about that. He hates us. And there is evil in this world. And any person that opposes us, we need to see that they're a pawn. They're a victim of the world's belief and ideology, but they're not the enemy. And I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. People will never be our enemies because people are made in the image of God. People are sought after by God. Every single person made in the image of God, sought after by God. Jesus died for every person, every critic, everyone that I've ever disagreed with in my life. And my job, your job, for Jesus' followers is to win them over. And again, I don't know about you, but I find this hard at times. They're not the enemy. They're victims who do not yet know this God and this truth. And it's our job to show it to them in a winsome way. Do you see where Peter went? I want to say, daggone it, Peter, you went right into politics and government. Almost as if to say, Christian, this is where you're going to struggle with it the most. And I'll be honest with you. I'd rather speak about almost any other hot topic or issue than politics because it's so divisive. Because the moment we jump into politics, people's defenses go up. Why? Because we're passionate about our country. Whether, whether we're from the United States or Canada or from someplace else, we should be passionate about our country. We should be passionate about the world that our, that our kids and our grandkids are going to grow up in. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says here about how to get involved in the political arena. And I'm going to give you verses you have them there, they're there undertaken at, taken at home, Romans 13, 1 through 7. It says basically the same thing Peter's saying here is here's how you give honor and respect to those in authority. The same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And then in Matthew 22, Jesus says, honor Caesar. Jesus says, honor Caesar. But, but Jesus, Caesar claims to be God and you're God. Jesus says, honor Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and you give to God what is God but you honor that man. Now, we need to understand that Peter, in 1 Peter, he's writing in the time of Nero. Not Obama, not Trump, not Biden. So get over it. Nero had made open season on Christians. I mean, he's lighting them up for torches in his gardens, for goodness sake. 
And no matter who our president is, there's going to be some people who, who are happy and some people that aren't happy. But let me tell you, again, a person is never the enemy. So here's what we're supposed to do. And I promise you, it'll be biblical. If you want to discuss this, argue it, all I ask is you be prepared to show me where Scripture will justify you tearing down people or criticizing people. We're called to win people. You and I have a much higher throne that we report to than any throne set up in this world. And that throne tells us to honor them. Now, again, I understand the frustration. Trust me, I very much understand the frustration over where our society seems to be headed and how our children are going to be misled. But again, I've read the end of the book. It doesn't shock me. It doesn't surprise me. I get that. But we live in a democracy where we can be involved. And, and whether that means in your kids' school or your grandkids' classes in PTA, local government, state government, federal government, we do need Christians that are involved at all levels of, of the political system, both here and in Canada. We need to realize, though, again, that as Peter keeps on reminding us, we're aliens, we're strangers here. So this is how we are supposed to act. We get involved out there as much as we can, but we need to remember and keep in mind eternal things and things of the throne. How you do it is critical. And Peter makes clear, respect every authority instituted by men. We're going to talk about some, some cases. We're going to put some practicality on this next week, next week's message. You know, I know that we, we don't have a king or we don't have a Caesar, but they didn't have a democracy in that day either. And I'm sure if there was a democracy around, Peter would have had words like president and senators and congressmen and state governors and all that kind of mayors, that kind of thing. Peter says, be passionate, but live as free men and free women, but don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. And how you disagree with your opponents, they need to be able to see God, they need to be able to glorify God, and it better be one more encounter with a Christian that brings them closer to God. Anything we're doing in our workplace with a boss or a, a guy that's a jerk or with the guy that hates us or with a neighbor out there that's got it in for us with government officials, if it's not showing our God and his love, we shouldn't be a part of it. Be involved, be passionate, but understand we're representing God to them, not our political party. One is eternal, one is temporal. And then finally, remember this. It's okay to tear apart a policy, not a person. It's okay to tear apart a policy, not a person. I don't care how opposed you are to their policy. I don't care how opposed it is to your sense of right and wrong, how opposed it is to, to biblical morality, to go after the policy, not the person. We have to separate the two. We need to go after their ideology, not the individual. Here's why. I've never met a policy that's created in the image of God, but people are. And if God loved your critic and your opponent enough to send his son to die, I think it's not okay to tear them down. I don't want to be standing in your place before that throne that day and explain to God why, when he said it's your job to win them, when it's your job to be a son or daughter of the king, representing him. That's how we do life, Peter says. I admit the deck seems to be stacked against us. And Jesus says, you think they don't like you? They put me on a cross. Got anything else? He said, I loved them. I did it for them. That's how you handle your critics. That's how you live. Because the day you accepted God, you were born into the family. And Peter is telling us, here's how you act like it.
You and I are plan A for reaching the world, reaching others who need God. There is no plan B. You have no enemies that are people. You have those that are loved by God that need to be won over to the kingdom. And it's your life as it's lived in witness to him that's supposed to do it. Amen. Before we head out to the battlefield, let's have the benediction. Father, thank you. We admit we get so passionate, so caught up in how we want to see this life, our country that we love, our children grow up in. We get so caught up in the things of this earth that we forget at times that we are strangers here, we're foreigners here, and that there's a much, much higher calling. And God, so many times we lose our eternal witness for you because of the temporary agendas we fight. Forgive us, Lord. May we search ourselves and find, is there a place we are doing that where we maybe need next words out of our mouth to be words of apology? And God, are there places where we've given up battling our own sin nature and it's taken a beating on our soul? May you convict us. May you remove it. May you give us your grace, your freedom, and your mercy instead. Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I know I'll never deserve it. But thank you for adopting all of us as your children. Now continue to shape and mold us to truly reflect the family so that it may grow ever larger as others are drawn to you through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.